0: Well, happy birthday. Amen. <laughs> hey uh, my wife kind of gets on me. I kind of get tickled out of doing that on people on the 4th of July. Some years ago, I was on an elevator and on the 4th, and a lady gets on. I said, happy birthday. She looked at me and said, how did you know this was my birthday? <laughs> I said, well, you are an American, aren't you? So, oh yeah, <laughs> she said, but I was born on the 4th of July. I said, I wish I was born on the 4th of July. <laughs> anyway, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the joy of being back with you. I love this place. I yeah. fell in love with it some time ago. You got a good name, Liberty. Yeah. Baptist Tabernacle. That kind of fits today, I think. And uh appreciate the quotes from Ronald Reagan. I, uh, I probably get I probably get more upset at the Republicans than I do the Democrats. The Democrats don't know any better. So people ask me what I am, and I'm, I'm getting where I, I like to say I'm a Reaganite. That's what I am. <laughs> and uh, we need to get back. Oh, man, can you imagine if we had a president like that again? Oh, how we need it, how we need it. Uh, I'm, so, I'm so thankful to be here, and I'm so thankful for, the again, the privilege of getting to preach on this day. I <clears throat> Having stepped down from being a pastor, there's some days I don't get to preach on uh, like I used to. I said there's three of my favorite national holidays are Christmas, Thanksgiving, and the 4th of July, and a couple of them can occasionally hit on Sunday, but I've always said they all three ought to be on Sunday, (laughs) and so here it is Tuesday, and I'm getting to preach on the 4th of July, and I'm telling you, I'm... You better just fasten your (laughs) seatbelt. I'm probably going to go about 40 different directions here. There's so much on my heart. I I think of the uh, family here this morning. One of them said, we're kind of grieving today. And I understand that. And uh, I said, you know, I'm kind of grieving too for my country. Um, I've often kind of paralleled myself with Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Uh, He knew what Judah had been. He knew what it could be, and he knew what it was, and he was crying all the time. (laughs) I'm a red, white, and blue-blooded American. I love my country, and uh, like the psalmist said, we have a goodly heritage. Oh, I thank God for our heritage. Ronald Reagan's just a, a product, really, of our heritage, and he spoke to it regularly, uh, I was a little afraid when you started giving quotes, you're going to get into some of my stuff here, because <laughs> I got a bunch of great quotes. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to give you a little background on some things. Uh, a little better than a year ago, well, more than that, I have a high school classmate of mine. His name is George Prieto, and he's lost. Uh, he was born and raised in Cuba, and his parents fled Cuba. Cuba during fidel castro's days and uh, they gave the government everything to get the ticket to get out of the country his dad was a, a physician's aide so he was in the phys- in uh, the health industry there pretty well to do as people would be in cuba and he gave it all to the government so they could get out it was george his dad mom and his sister and they came when i was a freshman in high school in 1962 and uh, like I've seen, Brother Brooks, as you have with some preachers, uh, second and third generation is kind of a telling thing. In the Word of God, it is as well. And it's not a good telling thing, uh, sadly. And we're seeing now several generations, of course, in our country, but I've seen it even in preachers, their kids and grandkids come up and have more of an influence on their dad or granddad than their dad or granddad ought to have on them and causes them to turn from things that they knew are right and things that they were taught and purposed to commit themselves to, and are teaching and preaching things and believing things. I'm telling you, it's it's a shock, (laughs) but it's a shame. Such is the case in our country. Uh, Several generations have gone by. I've quoted Thomas Jefferson. He said, about every other generation needs a revolution. We're way overdue, I'm thinking. Uh, But back to George Prieto, if anyone ought to appreciate America, you think? (laughs) Someone that fled from the conditions that he lived in as a young man. But we still communicate, uh, Christmas letters and such as that. And and I write in my Christmas letters, uh, I'm I'm very outspoken on some political things, and so I add them to my Christmas letter about things that we're facing in our country. One year, several years ago, I got lamb blasted from him. Now, keep that garbage to yourself. I'm sick of hearing it, blah, 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 blah. And we've had some back and forth since then. And I told him here about a year ago, I said, if I didn't know better, I think you were putting me on. <laughs> I said, George, if anybody ought to know better about the things going on in our country, it ought to be you. <laughs> but he's bought you know he's drinking the purple kool-aid he's believing the lie and it's just frustrating to me so that kind of caused me to give some thought to and it was spoken to here this morning uh, we don't know our history and uh, I'm going to say here probably in the midst of my message someone as well said if you don't know where you came from you don't know where you're going and then I'm telling you we're flying blind today it's it's incredible (laughs) <laughs> hello yeah. it's incredible yeah. to see what people are pr- propagating believing and supporting today Here, some time ago you may have when Portland was ablaze there they had people marching in the streets saying America has come to an end and they're bragging on it you know God forbid God forbid but anyway all that to say so I started giving some thought to man as it was said in our schools they're not teaching our history by design they don't want the generations coming to know who we are and why we are who we are. And so they don't know. So therefore, they're drinking the purple Kool-Aid. They don't, they don't know any better because they don't know our history. And again, as the psalmist said, we have a goodly heritage, yes, a great heritage that is based upon this book, yep. as I'm going to allude to here, of course, this morning. Anyway, so I started this thing. I call it Visions of the Visionaries. I know your pastor gets it in, i just take a quote from Scripture and then a couple quotes from our founders. And i tell you what. Thank God our founders were prolific writers. Thank God they were prolific writers. These history spinners today would make them into God only knows what. But they can't, so they ignore them. And you don't hear, you don't hear from them. And we need to hear from them. Oh, how we need to hear from them. Because I'm telling you, it's powerful stuff. Powerful stuff of what they believed and what they knew about our founding and what they intended for us to be, and they knew the risks of it because they knew human nature. You know how they knew about human nature? (laughs) They studied the Word of God. And so they spoke to so many things, and and oh, how we need to hear from them today. (laughs) Oh, how we need to hear from them because much of what they say is just a quote from this book. We need to hear from God today. Is it, is it news to anybody here this morning? Our help isn't going to come from the government. Our hope is not in Washington, D.C. Our hope is right here. Oh, how we need to get back to the Bible. Back to the Bible and uh, all these things again. I'm going uh, to get to the passage of Scripture here in a moment. you got your Bibles, you can turn to Deuteronomy. You're going to be in... Uh, chapter 4. But before we get there, let me say this. This message today, you could almost say it's going to be like a political rally. I don't want it to be that. Um, But you're going to hear a lot of things in the political realm, certainly from our founders and these things. But let me say this. We can enjoy, and we do this very day as we sit here, the benefits of freedom and liberty. And we can enjoy, I'm so glad I was born in America. God is good. I could have been born in Bongo Bongo somewhere, never hear the gospel, never know the blessings that we take for granted so often. (laughs) But we can enjoy all that we do and thank God for but i tell you what, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, in the final analysis, nothing else matters. So I don't know. I don't know who else here. I don't know everybody. I don't know your heart. But I would say to you, don't, don't get lost today. And some of the things we're going to be kind of emphasizing or pointing to at the expense of the most important point to hear and know. Jesus said this, In John chapter 8, I believe, you should know the Son, and the Son shall make you free indeed. There's a freedom that goes beyond and above any other kind of freedom. It's the freedom of knowing that you have a home in heaven, your sins are forgiven, and come what may, and only God knows what's coming down the pike. If our country doesn't turn back from the direction it's going, You better fasten your seatbelt. I'm telling you, we're going to find out who really wants to be in church. Come on, I'm talking about things that we're going to really, we heard about freedom's not free. We're going to talk about some things in our spiritual freedom that isn't free as well. And we may get back to having to pay for some of that like our forefathers in Scripture did with their very lives. So there's something more important than just physical freedom. And it's, of course, spiritual freedom. Um, let me give you a couple quotes from our founders because I say again, we need to know who these guys were. Amen. Amen. They weren't just, you know, moral and have a fear of God, and they did, but many of them I'm talking about were born-again believers, and they knew the importance of it. <clears throat> Patrick Henry uh, Virginia delegate, of course, that you know. He was called the trumpet of the revolution. Give me liberty or give me death. He said this. It cannot be emphasized too clearly and too often that this nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religion, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. (laughs) John Quincy Adams, sixth president of our country, son, of course, of... John Adams, interesting, John Quincy Adams, his first son, he named George Washington Adams. <laughs> his second son, he named John Adams after John Adams II, after his dad. Anyway, John Quincy Adams, he, he died in, in 1848. Uh, after he served as president, he was, I think, 17 years served as a congressman. Uh, he was known as the old man eloquent. He died on the floor of Congress had a stroke and died right there. He was a favorite on the 4th of July in our country, particularly back there in the, uh, New England. They would have him as a featured speaker every year. Uh, I can only imagine how dynamic he was. He said this, John Quincy Adams said, from the day of the declaration, the people of the North American Union and of its constituent states were associated bodies of civilized men and Christians. They were bound by the laws of God. Listen to this now. They were bound by the laws of God, which they all, and by the laws of the gospel, which they nearly all. Not all of our founders were saved. Okay? Uh, I could get off on some of that, but just suffice it to say, not all of them were saved, but they did have a respect for the word of God, for truth as they knew it to be, and for the principles that the word of God set forth on how to live. And so, again, they had a respect for the laws of God, uh, which they nearly all acknowledged the, as the rules of their conduct. The Declaration of Independence cast off the shackles of dependency. The United States of America were no longer colonies. They were an independent nation of Christians. The highest glory of the American Revolution was this, that it connected in one dissoluble bond, indissoluble bond the principles of civil government and the principles of Christianity this was intended to be a Christian nation. Amen. It was founded upon the word of God with the intent that it remain that. Amen. Enough already of this pluralism nonsense. Come on, we're supposed to be a, a nation brought up on the word of God with a fear of God and a de- de- determination to stay there. Amen. Stay there. But again, I say the importance of knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and our founders knew again how, did, how much of a determining factor that was. Listen to some personal testimonies of our founders on their, on their salvation. Charles Carroll, he's renowned as the first citizen of the American colonies for newspaper editorials. He wrote leading up to the revolution, uh, advocating for the separation from, from Great Britain. Uh, he was a Maryland delegate to the Second Continental Congress. He was the last surviving signer of the declaration of independence, <clears throat> he said this, on the mercy of my Redeemer, I rely for salvation, on his merits, not on the works I have done in obedience to his precepts. I think that's based on a principle in the word of God. <laughs> We're not saved by works, hello? Okay, and he, he makes it very clear. Benjamin Rush, he was renowned as the father of American public schools. Boy, would he have a fit today. His physician and a a Surgeon General of the American Continental Army, Pennsylvania Pennsylvania delegate to the Second Continental Congress and signer of the Declaration, he ratified also the U.S. Constitution as a Pennsylvania State Assembly. He said this, listen to this. My only hope of salvation is in the infinite transcendent love of God manifested to the world by the death of his son upon the cross. Nothing but his blood will wash away my sins. I rely exclusively upon it. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, Amen. come quickly. <laughs> Amen. Amen. John Witherspoon, <clears throat> uh, president of Princeton University, New Jersey delegate to the, and chaplain of the Second Continental Congress, and, of course, signer of the Declaration. He lost two sons in the War of Independence. He was a signer of the Articles of Confederation, which he helped draft a member of the New Jersey legislature ratifying the U.S. Constitution. Listen to this. At Princeton, he taught six constitutional convention delegates, three Supreme Court justices, 20 U.S. senators, and 33 U.S. congressmen. This guy taught them. You got it? At Princeton. What do you think he taught? I entreat you, this is what he said, I entreat you in the most earnest manners to believe in Jesus Christ, for there is no salvation in any other. Acts 4.12, he refers to. If you are not reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, if you are not clothed, oh man, this is good. If you are not clothed with the spotless robe of his righteousness, you must forever perish. Oh, that we had some leaders in Congress who would speak up like that. (laughs) Roger Sherman, signer of the Declaration, Connecticut delegate to the First and Second Continental Congress, Connecticut delegate to the Constitutional Convention. He's the only uh, signer of all four great national papers of the U.S., he signed the Declaration. The articles of association the articles of confederation and the us constitution roger sherman listen to this testimony i believe there is one only living and true god existing in three persons the father the son and the holy ghost the same in substance equal in power and glory that the scriptures of the old and new testaments are a revelation from god and a complete rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him. That He made man at first perfectly holy, that the first man sinned, and as He was the public head of His posterity, they all became sinners in consequence of His first transgression, and are wholly indisposed to that which is good and inclined to evil, and on account of sin are liable to all the miseries of this life, to death. Into the paths of hell, the pains of hell forever. I believe that God did send his own Son to become man, die in the room instead of sinners, and thus to lay a foundation for the offer of pardon and salvation to all mankind, so as all may be saved who are willing to accept the gospel offer. I believe that the souls of believers are at their death immediately made perfectly holy and immediately taken to glory, that at the end of this world, there will be a resurrection of the dead and a final judgment of all mankind when the righteous shall be publicly acquitted by Christ the judge and admitted to everlasting life and glory and the wicked be sentenced to everlasting punishment. You think that guy was saved? Yeah, think? <laughs> oh, baby. We have a goodly heritage. We are what we are today. We enjoy what we enjoy today because the foundation was set right. That's right. That's right. David, yea, God said, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? <laughs> They're being eroded as we speak. Yes. Do you pray for your country? I don't mean when you come to something like this, yeah, well, I need to now. No, I mean do you pray for your country? Men ought always to pray and not to faint. We, come on, you think prayer changes things? You think? Then come on, God's people. I'll, I'll get to some of this. Again, I'm going to be redundant on some things, but judgment begins at the house of God. The, the answer for our country, I say, is not Washington, D.C. The answer's right here. I'm telling you, the answer's right here. We've got to step up and speak up. We've got to live up to who we're supposed to be. We're salt and light. Come on, we're the difference makers. We're talking about eternal difference. We're talking about the difference that makes the difference. Uh, I got so many things here. We don't have time for it all. (laughs) Deuteronomy chapter 4. Let me get underway here. (laughs) Deuteronomy chapter 4. And if you're able... Would you stand, please, in honor of God's word? The guy running the sound back there. So, pardon me if I'm dripping up here. Deuteronomy chapter 4, just begin at verse 1. Moses, and we'll give some details here. Moses standing before the entire nation of Israel says, Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you, for to do them that ye may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. You shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did because of Baal Peor, for all the men that followed after Baal Peor. The Lord thy God hath destroyed them from among you. But 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 ye that did cleave unto the Lord your God are alive, every one of you, this day. Let me just interject here. This is a high point in Israel's history, as you may know. 40 years of wilderness journeys just passed. 100 people a day were dying. Can you imagine? Talk about grieving and hardship. You wonder why they were murmuring. 40 years of people dying. 100 people dying a day. Uh, but they've got past that now. They're at a high point spiritually. I mean, the, the dross has been <laughs> taken care of. This is the quality folks that love God and know what God is and who he is and what he wants. They're ready to go into the land, Okay. So get the idea here of who he's speaking to. Verse four, but ye did cleave unto the Lord your God are alive every one of you to this day. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments even as the Lord my God commanded me that ye should do so in the land whither ye go to possess it. Keep therefore and do them. Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons, especially the day that thou stoodest before the Lord thy God in Horeb, talking about in Sinai, when the Lord said unto me, Gather me, the people, together, and I will make them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days that they shall live upon the earth. That they may teach their children. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for today. Oh, (laughs) we could go on and on and on, and in our hearts and in our minds, we should ever be mindful that we are what we are by the grace of God. And certainly, as a nation, that is so. You have been gracious, you have been merciful. We're, we rejoice that your mercy endureth forever, that you're long suffering. And oh, how you've suffered long as our country has gone far back from where it once was. But Lord, we know, again, that you're good, that you're not willing that any should perish, and that <clears throat> you, you appeal to us to repent because you're not one that likes to bring judgment. But Lord, you're also just. As Thomas Jefferson said, knowing that God is just, he feared for his country. If he feared then, oh, how we fear today. But Lord, we do pray for mercy. And we do pray for an extended long-suffering. We do pray for revival. You've brought it time and again in our country. This Independence Day we rejoice in was a result of the great awakening It was a spiritual result. And so, Father, again, we just stand grateful before you here today. We ask that the services would be a time that you would uh, call us to a place of not just remembrance, but call us to a place of responsibility. As I said, we're, we're the answer to a lost and needy world today. Those that have the truth are supposed to bear the truth and share the truth. Oh, God, help us to do that today. Help us to make the difference you want us to make, and oh, how there's such a difference that needs to be made, as you well know. And so, moving our midst here this morning, thank you again, Lord, for this church. Thank you for Brother Brooks and his leadership here, and for all that you are doing, and all that you intend to do. Lord, may today just be a day that just kind of gives us a shot in the arm, we would go forward with a newfound zeal and determination to make a difference for your cause and for your glory. Bless now this service. Help me, Lord, as I preach. I, oh, how you know I need your help. And so, I pray, Lord, that you'll just show yourself strong today. I'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. I don't think there's any other passage in the Word of God that's more, I'd call it specially directed to a nation regarding... Uh, what God intended for it in its future and its purpose. In fact, this entire book of Deuteronomy is that page back to chapter 1. kind of sets the stage here. In verse number 1 of chapter 1, it, it, it sets, the, again, the occasion for which uh, the passages we're reading here today. It says, These be the words which Moses spake unto all Israel, on this side, J- side Jordan, in the wilderness in the plain over against the Red Sea. So again, they've come through their wilderness journey and now they're on the banks of the Jordan River looking across to the land that God's always had planned for them and (laughs) they've been waiting now these 40 years to go in and experience it. Verse three, and it came to pass in the 40th year in the 11th month, on the first day of the month that Moses spake unto the children of Israel according unto all that the Lord had given him in commandment unto them. I always like to say to people, you think I'm long-winded, This is one message. (laughs) Deuteronomy, the preacher, is Moses, and he's preaching this whole message. He's got assembled the entire nation of Israel. Must have been, wow, must have been some day. Some excitement, some enthusiasm, because they know what's awaiting, and they know what's next. Okay, But here Moses is giving them really a final charge. He himself is not going to be able to go in with them. But I don't think they've had a more passionate leader who loves them, who's interceded in their behalf, whose who's purpose is for their success and God's good will to be realized in them. No one cares more for them. Joshua's got some big shoes he's going to have to fill here shortly, but Moses isn't going to go, get to go in and lead them from here on. But So he's given them this final charge uh, that God wants them to hear and they need to hear. And isn't it such that the word of God is timeless? <laughs> this isn't some message for back then and it doesn't apply today. Oh how it applies today and we'll see some of that here in just a moment. <clears throat> Again, I say though Moses maybe in his mind only understood this what God had laid on his heart to deliver to the people. He may have only in his mind kind of conceived it in that way that it was for this time and place and it was specifically for this nation. Now, undoubtedly it was specifically for this nation. But it wasn't exclusively for this nation. Come on, God never chose Israel. Get your theology right. God never chose Israel at any time for any purpose at the expense of the rest of the world. God has always had the rest of the world in vision. For God so loved the world. Come on, that's that's <laughs> theology 101. Yeah. And the word of God speaks to that right here in this passage. Look again at verse number six. Keep, therefore, and do them. He's talking about these commandments. For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations. You're going to be a testimony which shall hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Uh, oh, man, I'm telling you, I just got to interject some things here. That used to be the testimony of America. It was a Christian nation and it was known that God had blessed it. You didn't have to go around singing God bless America. It was a given testimony. God has blessed America. Look at verse number seven. For what nation is there so great who hath God so nigh unto them? Verse eight, and what nation is there so great that has statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law? Israel was to be a testimony to the rest of the world. You can be like this. You can be blessed, you can have great laws and and and, and ex- conditions in which to operate and conduct your nation. They were to be a testimony. I've always believed, talk about God's long-suffering and his enduring mercy. This is a high point in Israel's history. And there's been a couple other revival times, like when they came out of Babylonian captivity and such. But this, I think really, this is a high point in all of their history. When they were really in a right relationship with God, and they were ready to follow God, they are going to tell Joshua You don't turn to the right hand or left. We're going to follow you, so you better make sure you're in touch with God because we want want God to bless us, and we want all that God has in store for us. Man, it's great. But you do know Israel's history, right? (laughs) It wasn't too long even at the end of Joshua's leadership. Joshua has to make this statement, really? Choose you this day whom you will serve? (laughs) Are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding you. And so their history is a roller coaster ride. Judges, the book of Judges is really kind of testimony of the overall condition of, of Israel. And I think it came to a point, in fact, God told Jeremiah, there's no remedy. <laughs> Remember Jeremiah, he interceded for the nation. He even kind of had a hard point, had a hard thing receiving what God said he was going to do because he told God, well, you know, we're not pagans. You know, I mean, we got problems. We're, we're not, you know, we're not pagans. And finally, he came to the point. He was with God. Yeah, bring it on. <laughs> but anyway, God told Jeremiah, there's no remedy. I'll tell you, when God says there's no remedy, God help us. I'm for our military. This is a military community. My church is a military community off at Air Force Base, Stratcom. That's where I pastored. Hey, thank God for our military. Yeah. Satan's working overtime on our military right now. But I have great confidence in our military. And man, thank God for the technology and all the advancement. And thank God for the, how God has allowed us to build up our defense. But I'll tell you what if God doesn't keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Our confidence is not in B 2s and cruise missiles. Our confidence needs to be where it needs to be. Come on, there's time after time in the Word of God when the, the odds were woefully against God's people. God kind of revels in that. <laughs> in. I get on the list of all the times when God stepped in. Hey, if God be for us, who can be against us? Yeah. But if God be against us, who can be for us? Yeah. So again... What God intended for Israel, they failed at. And I think God kind of said, I'll show you what. I can take anybody. I can take anybody and use them for our glory. And I really believe, you can argue, help yourself. I really believe in America, God raised up. God did it. Talk about Odds. Bunch of farmers, colonials going against the number one military power in the world. Are you kidding me? God stepped in. And I think God raised up America to show the rest of the world, hey, I can honor and use anybody that will be used. And that will yield themselves to me. And boy, what what an example. You talk about the Gentile age. America is the melting pot. There's all kinds of different nationalities. in our. This, this is, if ever there is a Gentile nation, America is a Gentile nation. It's a cross-section of everybody. And God said to, to the Jews, I'll take the Gentiles. I'll take a cross-section of all the Gentiles, and I'll show you what I can do. You're only special because I made you special. And I'm going to make them special. But are you listening? Same warning he gave them. He's given to them here. It applies to us today. We better listen up. It's interesting studying our founders because of their study. When the Constitutional Convention met, you may or may not know, they referenced different philosophers and different things. Mayflower Compact, they referenced. Uh, the, The source that they referenced the most It's a little test here. It's an easy, easy test to take here. The first question is, guess what they referenced the most? (laughs) It's laying in your lap, okay? Yeah, they referenced Blackstone. You can down the list of different ones who were good good references. But the number one reference book they referenced was this book. The number one book of the books was Leviticus. Whoa, baby. That's heavy reading. I'm telling you, that's heavy reading. They reference that more than you. Well, why? Because that's law. It's not just any law. It's not just good law. No, it's God's law. And again, I say they intended for us to be a nation based upon God's law. John Adams, second president, of course, a founder, he said this. Suppose a nation in some distant region should take the Bible for their only law book. And every member should regulate his conduct by the precepts they're exhibited. Every member would be obliged in conscience to temperance, frugality, and industry, to justice, kindness, to charity towards his fellow men. Well, that all sounds pretty good. And to to piety, love, and reverence toward Almighty God. What a utopia! What a paradise this region would be, you think? (laughs) Well, I'm telling you, John Adams and the others intended for America to be that. They knew it could be that if we held fast to these principles. James Madison, one of our founders, of course, called the uh, author of the Constitution, he said this, We have staked the whole future of American civilization not upon the power of government, (laughs) far from it. We have staked the future of all our political institutions upon the capacity of mankind for self-government upon the capacity of each and all of us to govern ourselves, to control ourselves, to sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. (laughs) Oh, I'll tell you, we would be here all day if I read all the references and the quotes from our founders about the importance of the Word of God. But let me just give you a little taste of some of those things. Jacob Broom, Delaware delegate to the Annapolis Convention of 1786, which precipitated an overhaul of the Articles of Confederation, leading, of course, to the Constitutional Convention. He was a Delaware delegate to the Constitutional Convention and a signer of the U.S. Constitution. He says this. For nearly half a century have I anxiously and critically studied the invaluable treasure of the Bible, and I still scarcely ever take it up, that I do not find something new, that I do not receive some valuable addition to my stock of knowledge or perceive some instructive fact never observed before. In short, were you to ask me to recommend the most valuable book in the world, I should fix on the Bible as the most instructive both to the wise and the ignorant. Were you to ask me for one affording the most rational and pleasing entertainment to the inquiring mind? I should repeat, it is the Bible. And should you renew the inquiry for the best philosophy or the most interesting history, I should still urge you to look into your Bible. I would make it in short the Alpha and Omega of knowledge. (laughs) James McHenry He's a doctor, physician, military surgeon, also of the American Continental Army, Maryland delegate to the Second Continental uh, Congress, Maryland delegate to the Constitutional Convention, where he kept a journal held as an authority on its proceedings and was a signer of the Constitution. He's a state delegate to the Maryland State Convention, ratifying the Constitution. He's the third U.S. Secretary of War under Washington and Adams, and he is credited with establishing the U.S. Department of the Navy, Fort McHenry in Baltimore Harbor is named his honor. He said this, Public utility pleads most forcefully for the general distribution of the Holy Scriptures. The doctrine they preach, the obligations they impose, the punishment they threaten, the rewards they promise, the stamp and image of divinity they bear, which produces a conviction of their truths, can alone secure to society order and peace and to our courts of justice and constitutions of government entrenchments around our institutions. Bibles are strong entrenchments. Where they abound, men cannot pursue wicked courses and at the same time enjoy quiet conscience. Governor Morris, New York delegate to the Second Continental Congress and signer of the Articles of Confederation, Pennsylvania delegate to the Constitution convention, author of the U.S. Constitution preamble, and of course a signer of the Constitution. He's primarily responsible for the final draft of the entire document and was regarded as the penman of the Constitution and was half brother to Declaration of Independence signer, Lewis Morris. He said this, the reflection and experience of many years have led me to consider the holy writings not only as the most authentic and instructive in themselves, but as the clue to all other history. They tell us what man is, and they alone tell us why he is what he is. A contradictory creature that seeing and approving of what is good pursues and performs what's evil. All of private and public life is there displayed. From the same pure fountain of wisdom, we learn that vice destroys freedom. That arbitrary power is founded on public immorality. Oh, many more. Got to move on. I'm just saying that's a sampling. These aren't exceptions to the rule. These are examples of the rule. Our founders went on and on and on about the importance of the word of God and that we hold fast to those truths. Oh, God, help us to get back. I've had occasion, which I've spent some time with congressmen and senators and I've made the appeal because I, I go for the throat. <laughs> I tell them our country's in, in peril, and it's not because of China, it's not because of Russia. Our greatest threat is on the inside. And so I tell them about the importance of getting back to God and getting back to the principles of God. And I say, I'm sick to my soul. I watch the news, and, and they ask some senator, to some, some you know, controversial decision has been made by the Supreme Court or the Congress or something. And so they buttonhole some congressman and say, why, why did you stand for this? Why did you, con- you know, why did you promote this? I said, I'm waiting for some congressman to say, because the Bible says so. Yeah. Amen. And so I tell these guys, I'm waiting. I'm still waiting. I've had, a more, I've had more than one say, well, Pastor, I'll tell you, I'll I'll say it. I'm still waiting. Don't patronize me. Don't tell me what I want to hear. Do what's right. Do what's needed. Oh, God, help us to have some men and women that'll step up. Enough already. There's no hope in the Republican Party. No hope. I don't even call it the Democrat Party. It's the Communist Party. There's no hope in that crowd. Our hope's in the Word of God and in God Himself. It's a (laughs) no-brainer. Thomas Jefferson said, while advocating the Bible as a required schoolroom textbook, he set up the Virginia Public Schools. He advocated for three fixed textbooks. Watts Hymnal, (laughs) the Bible, and the other one escapes me right now. It doesn't even matter. <laughs> I knew I'd do that. Watch well, him. Come on, Brother Brooks. It's not the case. How many times we're sitting in the service, we're getting ready to preach. And we say, I get up and I'll say, I don't even have to preach after that. You sing some of those great hymns of the faith. Then I quickly say, but I'm going to. <laughs> but honestly, that's the truth. Some of those great hymns of the faith. Whoa, baby. I'm going to read one to you here in just a bit, but. Uh, Jefferson said, we need two, <laughs> three, but these two textbooks need to be fixed. In other words, forever, these will ever be textbooks, the Bible and what's in. <laughs> well, again, I say that's kind of the text of our text here this morning, is it not? Where Moses admonishes and challenges, charges the people. Let the commands of God be fixed in your mind and in your life, and don't ever turn back from them. Make sure when you get into land, he goes on on another occasion and says, don't get in there and think we dug these wells and we planted these vineyards and these are our houses. No, God gave all that to you. And you need to remember who gave it to you. Come on, we need to remember who gave us this country. God brought us here. We heard the great testimonies this morning of our pilgrim forefathers that came here. Why did they come here? Not because they knew it was a land flowing with milk and honey and, you know, all kinds of bounty. And and it is that. That's not why they came. I take you back to our text. I'm just going to answer this question. Help me here now. I hope I can get it all out in just a few minutes. But look again at our text in chapter 4. He asks the question in verse number 7. What nation is there so great who hath God so nigh unto them? Verse 8, what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law? What nation is it? (laughs) Well, to quickly answer for them in that point, it was Israel. But I would say in this day, what nation is it? And just as they squandered it, we're in the midst of squandering it. God forbid he comes to the preachers in our day and says, There's no remedy. I'm telling you today, as, as best I know, there is still remedy. Amen. Draw out to God, he'll draw out to you. Come Repent. Repent, come on. Amen. God told Isaiah, Lift up your voice like a trumpet, call my people to their sin. <laughs> we need some strong preachers today. Get in the pulpit enough already. There's nonsense that goes on in so-called churches, so-called. The churches today are with the enemy. They're propagating the enemy. We need God's people to stand up. We need God's churches to stand up. We need God's preachers to be in the bogact to the word of God and proclaim the answer to the problem is yelling at us. God help us to do it. So what nation? I kind of put down uh, six points here. What nation? Well, one that will pay attention. I say again, it's being yelled at. Look, at. look at verse number one. Now therefore hearken, O Israel. <laughs> pay attention. He goes on to say unto the statutes and the judgments. In verse number two, he says, the commandments of your Lord, pay attention to them. And I may be given the testimony I preached here before. I've been amazed. When I was pastor, because we're in a military community, just as you are, we'd have relatives and friends of members that came and so they'd have them come to church with them. And some of these people are either not saved or go to God knows what for a church. But I would have some of them say to me, you know, I'm, I'm greeting folks at the doors they're leaving. They say, Pastor, let me tell you how nice it is to be in a church that actually reads the Bible. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> First time someone said that to me, I said, say what? <laughs> yeah. And this person went on the I and say, yeah, at our church, the pastor reads some news article and then he makes some spiritual application. No wonder we're in the trouble we're in. God help us. The wisdom of men versus the truth of God? Come on, what we need to hear. I trust I, trust I speak for you. When I come to church, Brother Brooks, run back and give us the word of God. I don't want to come here and hear a bunch of pablum. I don't want to come here and thank God for the songs and the music here, oh God, thank God for it. I don't want to come here, the 7-Eleven nonsense. Seven words sung eleven times over, you know. And it's paddling, it means nothing. Oh God help us. No wonder we're in the midst of the problems we're in today. Pay attention. Pay attention. My mother and my grandmother both said things similar to this. <clears throat> Speaking and hearing capabilities cannot be engaged at the same time. Speaking and hearing cannot be engaged at the same time. Well, we got a bunch of people talking today. God says, be still and know that I'm God. Oh, man, I'm telling you, we need to open our ears. Come on, we need to pay attention to truth. Jesus said, thy word is truth. Give us some truth. Oh, there is plenty of it. We just need to hear it. (laughs) Pay attention to it. What nation? One that pays attention. Number two, knows the standard. Knows the standard. Go back to verse number one again. Now hearken, O Israel, un, now therefore hearken, O Israel, under the state statutes and under the judgments which I teach you this day. What is the standard? There is one. You know, you know what we're being told today. There's no absolutes. Whatever you think is the truth, that's good for you. Whatever I think is the truth, that's good for me. No, it's not good for you. And it's not good for me. Pilate was frustrated with the same kind of a condition when he has the very truth standing before him. And Jesus says, everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate said, what is truth? (laughs) It was standing right in front of him. What is truth? Well, hey, there is truth. There are absolutes. There used to be a time in our country when you go into the courtroom and you you get a testimony, you put your hand on the Bible. You know why? Because that's the standard for truth. And you're supposed to agree that when you say, I'm going to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, that it's going to be according to that standard. We have no standards today. It's just a matter of opinion. Joe Biden says abortion is fine. President Trump says it's murder. Well, who's right? It really doesn't matter what President Trump says or President Biden. It doesn't really matter. In the final analysis, it doesn't matter what they think. It matters what God says. And so we got to come back to what is truth. The Word of God is truth. Again, I say for Congressman, oh, I'm waiting to hear it. I believe that because the Bible says so. And the Bible is true. I'd I'd just like to hear him say that once just to see what the the interviewer would say. (laughs) Because they don't expect to hear that, God help us. They ought to expect to hear it. Oh, how they need to hear it. Know the standard. George Washington said it is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. Chiseled into a portion of the Washington Monument is John chapter 5, verse 39, where Jesus said, search the scriptures. You want to know the truth? Search the scriptures. That's where you'll find the truth, because it is the truth. Pay attention. Know the standard. What nation? One that holds to the standard. It's one thing to know it, isn't it? Come on, how many of our children growing up, they know what they're supposed to do. (laughs) My dad, if I heard him say it once, I heard him say it a thousand times. God gave you a brain. Why don't you use it? (laughs) <laughs> well it's not just the brain because we know it's the doing of it come on same thing James chided Christians don't just be hearers of the word you know what's right no come on it's time to put it into practice in your life we need to see it we'll come to that again here in just a moment okay? so hold to the standard verse number 2 he says ye shall not add unto the word of God he goes on to say you're going to keep the commandments wouldn't it be something we just had some decisions by the supreme court I'm thankful for a couple of them. But as a rule, I'm not very thankful, as a rule. Wouldn't it be something that they come out and you hear one of the major opinions that says, we rule this way because this is what God's word says about the matter. Because that's the standard for judgment. (laughs) We want justice, do we not? Well, our pledge... It speaks to the justice, of America. <laughs> yeah, God, give us some justice today. Well, he will if we'll hold to his truths. Okay, So holding to the standard of the word of God. That Congress, when, when some law is debated, when the debate's going on, one of the congressmen would say, now my friend, my colleague there, God bless you, but I think you forgot something important, didn't you? And he would say, oh, man, yeah, I did. What the Bible says, (laughs) whoa, baby, can you imagine? You think things would be different in our country today? You think? I'm going to come back to it again. The judgment begins at the house of God. What's needed is salvation. That's the answer for it all. I said, you think Rapid City would be a different place to live in if 60% were really saved? I'm not talking about religious. I'm talking about saved, converted. You think it would be a different place? You think? How about 70%? How about 100 <laughs> percent? Ladies, you could walk the streets at night 12, night, 12 midnight, not worry a thing about it. Make a difference, you think? Well, that's what God intends. He didn't give us this law for, you know, like we write our papers in school. I got to fill in 500 words, I got to fit in something here. God didn't write His Bible like that. It's for our good. If we'll put these things to practice in our life, I'm telling you, make a difference in our lives hold to the standard. Listen to this quote. Daniel Webster said, if we abide by the principles taught in the Bible, our country will go on prospering and to prosper. But if we in our posterity neglect its instructions and its authority, no man can tell how sudden a catastrophe may overwhelm us and bury all our glory in profound obscurity. I don't want to come to the point when God says there's no remedy. I don't want to see what we have as a country come to an end. Thought I'd get a few more amens. Do you? What nation is so great? Well, one that pays attention, one that knows the standard, one that holds to the standard, one that learns from history. (laughs) Again, we just talked about Look at verse number three. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did because of Baal Peor, for all the men that followed Baal Peor. The Lord thy God hath destroyed them from among you, but ye that did cleave unto the Lord your God are alive, every one of you this day. (laughs) Hey, this is a history book. Someone said the word history is his story. Yeah. And this is a history book, and it's for our learning, God says, that we may benefit, come on, not go through the mistakes and get knots on our head from making our own experiences, but we can learn from the experiences of others. And Moses is chiding them here. Come on, we're not that too far down the road here. You can go back. This generation itself can remember, come on, the consequences of not obeying God. All of us have gone through funeral after funeral, sorrow after sorrow. It's been a rough road. Why? Well, God did it to us, excuse me. No, we did it to ourselves. Okay. And history teaches us. And I'm telling you, there, I made mean that quote a minute ago, how are you going to know where you're going if you don't know where you came from? I want to go in. I've heard people say, well, our public school is a pretty good public school. I quick to add, I say to them, do they learn about Abraham there? Abraham Lincoln? No, no, no. I'm talking about Father Abraham. In the Bible, do they learn about Abraham? Uh, I don't think so. Well, let me help you. No, they don't. A nation on the face of the earth that so much of what goes on in our world today circles around Israel? Is Israel a player in world events today? And you don't teach where that nation of Israel came from? You're not teaching history, you're not teaching truth. You're not teaching anything. You're teaching a bunch of nonsense. Come on, we need to get back to the truth of the word of God. And all the wisdom of the world comes from knowing God. Wisdom begins with the fear of God. How can you teach so-called wisdom? They can be worldly wise. That's not what God intends for them to be. Learn from history. Oh, come on, you don't even have to go to the Bible to learn from history, do you? History's chock full of examples of the consequence of going away apart from the truth of God's word. Certainly there's the testimony in the word of God, just Israel itself, but how about Babylon? How about Rome? You know, Rome wasn't really defeated. You know that, right? It corrupted itself from the inside. How? What were some of the, what were some of the symptoms of the erosion and the destruction of Rome? Short answer: what's going on in our country today? Yeah, right. Same stuff. Right. Bath houses. come on. immorality of the most gross and ungodly. And that being justified and rationalized and even promoted. Yeah. <laughs> We're doing it to ourselves. Right. Learn from history. Record of our founders. Again, I say they, they researched all kinds of things. They're very knowledgeable men. Hello? They learned much from Scripture, but they learned from other accounts as well. They learned f- by their own experiences the consequence of a monarchy and one ruler having the say over all the people. Again, Patrick Henry, give me liberty or give me death. Yeah, You know... <clears throat> You know some of the uh, battle cries in American history, like remember the Maine? That was a battle cry for Spanish-American War. Uh, remember the Alamo? Any Tex—well, I know we got a couple Texans here. I went to University of Houston. I'll tell you what. <clears throat> when they said the Alamo, you took your hat off, or they knocked it off your head. <laughs> remember the Alamo? That is, that's holy grail there, I'm telling you, friend. Uh, World War II. Remember Pearl Harbor. Remember Pearl Harbor. There were several different battle cries for the American War of Independence. One of them was this. No king, but King Jesus. (laughs) You don't read that in your history book in public school. Oh, man, don't get me started. (laughs) I was looking at a textbook. Somebody showed me this some years ago. Had two pages on Marilyn Monroe in American History Book. Two pages on Marilyn Monroe. Had half a page on Abraham Lincoln. Oh, my soul. We're in trouble. Is that news to anybody here? I hope not. We're in trouble. Public education is a misnomer, it's public conditioning. If you got your kids in public school, God help you. I mean, God help you. (laughs) Wise up, read up. I'm telling you, there's no such thing as a good public school. I'll say it again. There's no such thing. Now, I know there are good teachers trying to make a difference. God help them. But I'll tell you what, they're wasting their time. We need a spiritual revival. You want to help the public schools? Have what we used to call lyceums. I don't know what they call them today. The whole school would get together for an assembly. They'd bring in somebody. We ought to have lyceums in our school day and bring in some evangelist that'll just rear back and preach the word of God. That's what it needs. Yeah. Which is, again, the fourth point here. What, what nation is one that teaches their children that? Look at verse number nine. Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest thou depart, they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them thy sons... And thy son's sons, especially the day that thou stoodest before the Lord thy God in Horeb, Especially, remember, Sinai, Moses would come down from the mount. Some of those that are standing here right there were just children then, but they remembered it well. And they heard the mount thunder and roar, and they heard the voice of God say, this is Moses, my man. They heard it themselves. Come on, we've got spiritual heritage in our country. that we've got people that can talk about. My my grandmother went and heard Billy Sunday in Wichita, Kansas, and I think it was 1923. She said, man, he was a house of fire. (laughs) He's throwing chairs. (laughs) She went on and on. It's amazing. She said, well, there's some things to be throwing chairs about today. We need to get upset about some things in the condition of our country today. But we need to teach our children. Come on. If you're waiting for public school to help your kids know who we are, forget it. They don't want them to know, That's right. which is why I'm a homeschool advocate. And I'll just let that go, but for the record. Benjamin Rush, <clears throat> I quoted him, I think, a minute ago, signer of the Declaration, father of American education. He said this, The great enemy of the salvation of man, in my opinion, never invented a more effective means of limiting Christianity from the world than by persuading mankind that it was improper to read the Bible at schools. The, people when not, the Bible, when not read in schools, is seldom read in any subsequent period of life. It should be read in our schools in preference to all other books because it contains the greatest portion of that kind of knowledge which is calculated to produce private and public happiness. <laughs> and I'm telling you what, there's things in the past when our country has made some decision, like in 1963, I was in high school, when they threw God out, You're not going to read the Bible. You're not going to pray in school anymore. Now, back then, there was still enough spirituality in our country. We should have raised up on our hind feet and said, no more. That's not going to fly. Not in our country. And we could have quoted our founders and all kinds of, I mean, I got reams of stuff from rules from our Congress about this is a Christian nation. That's what it was intended to be. I'm talking about Congress making such statements. We should have rose up and said, that isn't going to stand. We're going to call for the removal of that, those many judges who ever voted for such an ungodly thing. If the trumpet gives an uncertain sound, what can the people do? Enough already, people. Come on. Enough already of the silent majority. Need to be the vocal majority. You know who's running this country today? The vocal mini minority. Squeaky wheel gets the grease. I'm telling you, they're squeaking every day, all day. It's time we squeak back. And their little squeak will become a pip squeak compared to what our squeak ought to be. Come on, we need to stand up. How's it going in our public schools since 1963 anyway? When I grew up, I was in a little Kansas community of about 1,300 people. If anything, national disaster, anything happened in our, in our city, everybody knew where you go to the school. It was a brick block. It was this place of security. They didn't have it locked. didn't have police officers running in the halls. But it was a place of security. Now it's the first place you run from. How's it going in our public schools since we threw God out? Maybe it ain't such a bad idea to have a little prayer, a little time of reading the Bible, you think? (laughs) Oh, God help us. Come on, it's a no-brainer. It's yelling at us. It's screaming at us because, again, the record is, the history's telling us, come on, let's get back to the way it used to be. I think it will be better. Yeah. I don't think. I know it will be. Teach your children. Parents, teach your children. They're the coming generation. We're suffering today because now we got these snowflakes and bird brains that don't know anything that think they know everything running our country. They're now being elected to office. We got warlocks. I'm talking about witches in Congress, Muslims in Congress. They hate our country. They hate who we are. They hate our founding. You better be teaching your kids. I said, you better be teaching your kids. You better make sure you're in church. I go door knocking today and I meet people that I don't go to church. I say, listen, if ever there's a day in the history of our country you need to have your family in church, it's today. It's a jungle out there. You need all the help you can get. Amen. And this is a place of great help, the help, the word of God. What nation is so great? Well, one that pays attention, knows the standard, holds to the standard, learns from history, teaches their children. And I just kind of sum it up with point number six, they fear God. Look at verse number 10 again. The day that thou stoodest before the Lord thy God in Horeb, when the Lord said unto me, Gather me, the people, together, and I will make them hear your words. Here it is. That they may learn to fear me all the days that they shall live upon the earth and that they may teach their children. Two key words there, fear and live. My dad, I had the privilege of pastoring him the last few years of his life raised in Kansas and of course pastoring in Nebraska in 1999 my mom said I we need to move up near you dad was starting to have some dementia and different things and so I pastored my dad he died in 06 so seven years of his life I got to pastoring I was preaching one day I think it was father's day or something and I talk about you know honor your father and your mother and have a godly fear of them and I said fear is not like they're going to hurt me I said is a fear is respect Respect for, but I said, but there was a little element. (laughs) Come on, parents. Any of you, remember way back when your mom would say, Wait till your dad gets home? Ruined my day. He didn't get home till late, and I was, it ruined my day. (laughs) I said, When I was pastoring him, he was in his 80s. I said, You know, I think I could take my dad now, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure. There was a fear instilled in me for my good. I've given testimony time. I remember I was just a tyke. We were still in Wichita at the time. So I was probably about, I don't know, first, second grade. Dad came out the back porch and said, David, time to come home. I was a couple houses down playing with my friends. And I heard that, but I didn't want to do that. So I ducked down behind a doghouse my neighbor there. Dad saw me. So he called again. David, come on. Time to come home. I'm hiding. He went out the front door, came down the block, street, two houses, came in behind me (laughs) with a switch. (laughs) My dad used a switch. Oh, baby, I can still feel it. (laughs) And I'm I'm behind there kind of peeking to see if he's still out there. All of a sudden, oh! <laughs> and all the way down the alley then, back to our house, I'm dancing a jig, man. <laughs> he's whipping me all the way home. Now, I wouldn't suggest, parents, you do that today. You might end up in jail. But what they ought to do, they ought to give him a gold badge of courage or some kind. In fact, I I can kind of picture in my mind my neighbors saying, (laughs) That's good, that's good. (laughs) Yeah, fear. We need to have a fear of God. I'm afraid that He will say, No remedy. I'm afraid of the consequence of that. When He told Jeremiah, There's no remedy. It wasn't because he didn't love Judah and Israel. Because he did love him. he chastened them. He loves our country. He's so disappointed and brokenhearted. He's a God of justice. I said, one thing happened, and I'll kind of close with this. I'm to to read, read something in a moment. I'm so thankful for his discipline over the course of years in our country. And There's been things, again, I say he's trying to get our attention. 9-11 was a big attention getter, you would think. Yeah. Interesting, for a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. yeah. congressmen were on the steps of the Capitol singing God Bless America, and they, were, they would assemble for prayer. Right now, a guy comes in, opens the assembly in prayer, and most of them don't even attend. That was about two weeks after 9-11, they were back to the old way. He's trying to get our attention. What does he have to do? And I started to say with Israel, finally, when there was no remedy, he brought in Nebuchadnezzar and the Chaldeans. Again, I say Jeremiah had a little hard time with it. But at the end, he said, so be it. And not to say that after the Babylonian captivity, Israel didn't have problems. Jesus confronted them with some of those same problems later on. But I'll tell you one problem they didn't have thereafter. They weren't worshiping Baal. Molech wasn't a god in Israel then. God was God. Now, I'm not asking for God's judgment on our country. I'm asking for long-suffering and mercy. But I know this, what God does, he does well. And he's good. And if it takes that to bring us back to a place where we can be blessed by him again, I'll leave it to God's call because I'll trust just like David did when God said he's going to make a judgment in his life through Nathan God gave him some selections and <laughs> David said, "Well, I'm not going to I'm not going to yield myself to the will of men and what they might do. I'll let God make the decision. God, you make the decision. But could you bring revival? Could it happen in our country again? I hear people say, we're so far gone. Well, such were the occasions in Israel. Can we experience it? I'd sure like to. I'd sure like to. I'll close with this, and I know I've gone long, but let let me read this. How many of you know we have a national hymn? Anybody know we have a national hymn? We do. I said a moment ago, Man, these great hymns of the faith, they're powerful just in their words alone. When we have some national event, like the day of prayer after the 9-11 they called for, and they have some event there at the National Cathedral, they often sing this national hymn. At inaugurations many times, the Marine choir, you know, a military chorus of some kind will we'll sing the national hymn. It's called God of our fathers. God of our fathers. America needs to get back to the God of our fathers. It was written by Daniel Roberts. He wrote it on the occasion of the 100th anniversary of our country in 1876. He knew full well we were what we were and had, were and had been blessed these hundred years because of the God of our fathers. These are the words. God of our fathers, whose almighty hand lends forth in beauty all the starry band of shining worlds in splendor through the skies, our grateful songs before before your throne arise. Your love divine has led us in the past in this free land by you our lot is cast. Oh, be our ruler, guardian, guide and stay. Your word, our law. Your paths, our chosen way. From war's alarms, from deadly pestilence, make your strong arm our ever-sure defense. Your true religion in our hearts increase. Your bounteous goodness nourish us in peace. Refresh your people on their toilsome way. Lead us from night to never-ending day. Fill our lives with heaven-born love and grace until at last we may meet before your face. Amen and amen. And here's the final admonition. Every knee will bow one day. Every tongue will confess, and everybody will see his face. Are you ready? Thank God for our country. Thank God for our freedoms. But you better know spiritual freedom by way of Jesus Christ as your Savior. I don't know of a better day in the whole country and the whole year to get saved than 4th of July. If you're not saved, come on. Today's the day. Let's bow for prayer. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your goodness to us. Oh, as I said, and how true it is, we could go on and on and on and on. You've been so good. Your word is good. Your love is good. Your plan for our lives and for our nation is good because you're good. And so, Father, thank you for your goodness that's been spread abroad in our nation, in our history, and yet spread abroad today just by the fact that we can assemble here today and refresh ourselves with some of these good, good things. But I do pray if there's anyone here this morning that hasn't trusted Jesus Christ their Savior, help them know that's the most important thing of all nothing in the world more important because it's eternally important. Things we enjoy in our country today are for three score and ten. However long we live, we'll enjoy them. And God forbid, but for some people, this may be the only thing close to heaven they'll ever know. Because without Jesus Christ, there's only an eternal judgment in a place called hell. So I pray that fear of God would be real today as they... Seriously consider what lies before them. God said to Israel, choose life that you may live, for why will you die? Don't let somebody here today who's facing eternal death stay in that condition. Help them choose life, eternal life, by way of your Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus. For those that are saved, again I say, oh God, Make us be the salt and light you've intended for us to be in our day. Oh, we need the difference made today by God's people. So speak to hearts, do your work in our place, and we'll praise you and thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.